Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Brian. And this is a really exciting episode for us. Our guest is uh, Dr. Andrew DeMeo. He is somebody we've heard about our whole time in our undergraduate experience and, and past it because he had a big part in forming the senior design course, the capstone course that biomedical engineering students take their senior year uh, for the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering in U at UNC and NC State. He's got a long career history, which he touches on in the episode. Right now, he's a senior product manager at Greenlight Guru. So Dr. DeMeo is going to share his whole experience on building up that senior design program and the intentionality behind its design, what he wanted students to get out of it. It's super interesting for us, but I think also for students that have gone through an engineering capstone year or students that are going into one or currently into one. So I kind of encourage all people along the spectrum, spectrum to take a listen. Please enjoy Dr. Andrew DeMeo. Well, hi, Dr. DeMeo. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you too. So Brian and I know you as the designer of the senior design course at the Joint Program of Biomedical Engineering at UNC and NC State, but I know you have a long history before that. So for listeners, could you just tell them a little bit about yourself, career history, and kind of uh, where uh, your involvement with the Joint Department kind of falls in that timeline? Yeah, sure. And, you know, before I get started, thanks so much yeah. for having me. This is so, <laughs> this is so cool. Um, I mean, the, uh, when I got started in biomedical engineering, there, there was no such thing as senior design and to see a senior design podcast is just amazing. So, um, gosh, I, I began as a student in the program. And when I started, I was there, uh, in 1998 is when I began. And at that time it was only at UNC. It was only a graduate program. There was no undergraduate students. It was a really small program. Uh, and so we had a small cohort of students. I want to say that my class of grad students was maybe 18 students or something like that. And it was a huge, huge class. The, you know, the, the average size was, you know, five, seven, maybe, maybe 10 students. So we were real small, really tight. Uh, and we were really like a family. And I mean, really like a family had had at least three parties a year at the at the chair of the department's house. Um, Kara Lucas was her name, and she was just amazing. She was like a mother to all of us. Uh, and so when I graduated, I felt really connected to the program. It wasn't just like going to school and then graduating for something. It was it really was my family, and I stay close to you know, some of the alums that I went to school with then, I'm, I'm very close with them, you know, to this day. In fact, I was just texting with a group of them um, earlier today. And, and so when I graduated, I stayed really close, um, immediately signed up to be on an industry advisory board. You know, I got a job in industry, signed up to be on the advisory board um, for two years the, later. For the biomedical department at UNC. For the biomedical department, yeah at UNC, um, which became, you know, the biomedical engineering department at UNC and NC State over time. So 
Um, I, I had taken a job as a design engineer with, I was the company was Alaris Medical Systems. And, and so I uh, joined in that role. And then a few years later, I had started uh, a product development services company called Galera with, uh, with two other guys. And so from that role, uh, actually sponsored senior design projects at NC State. So from the years that I was being an advisor, uh, we actually were part of the, the advisory team that was in, you know, joining up with, with NC State and creating an undergraduate and graduate program and, and really growing out the joint department. So I got to, I got to see that whole thing. Uh, before coming back and being the senior design um, professor of the practice, I guess was technically what I was called. And uh, I was there from 2006 to 2018. So it was uh, just an awesome ride. Okay. So 2006 to 2018, you're leading the senior design program for Mm -hmm. the joint department. It's, It's joint in 2006, or did that kind of happen somewhere afterwards? It was joint-ish in okay. 2006. <laughs> uh, there was, you know, there was the undergraduate program was fully in place at NC State in 2006. Uh, there was at that point undergraduate students at UNC also, which was that had all evolved since I had graduated when there was only grad students and only at UNC. Um, the jointness at that time was literally at the graduate um, level. You would get, you could, you could graduate with a, a joint degree from UNC and NC State with your master's or your PhD, but it wasn't, it was like collaborative at the undergraduate level, if that makes any sense. So there was, yep. there was still mechanisms that work to, to bring it to a, a joint program over the following. It took a long time. I don't remember the exact year that it like, technically turned into a joint undergraduate program. What happened that you got involved? Did somebody kind of ask you to get involved or did it just kind of come out of those advisory conversations? Or or I guess you were sponsoring senior design projects. Like what kind of happened there? I guess I'm, I'm missing that piece. I was, yeah. So, I mean, I had, gosh, I had started this, uh, I'd started Galero. I mentioned that earlier. And then um, after I started Galero, I'd started a um, medical device trade association in North Carolina. It was called uh, the North Carolina Medical Device Organization. And it was to provide networking education um, for medical device professionals in the state. And we held networking events and things like that. So I was doing that um, right before I got, I came out in 2006. And you're right, I had been sponsoring senior design projects. So I knew the the professor at NC State that taught the class. His name was Frank Abrams, wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, And it was a really interesting time in my life. I had just gotten my nonprofit um, company sort of acquired. Nonprofit companies don't get acquired. There's not like an exit, but I had sort of run the nonprofit through its course where it was going into the State Department of Commerce, the North Carolina Biotechnology Center and the Council for Entrepreneurial Development. And I was mm-hmm. kind of done with that journey. Mm-hmm. 
And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, but my phone rang and it was Frank Abrams sitting in the um, chair of the department at that time was Troy Nagel. They were in an office together and they had me on speakerphone. And uh, I think, I feel like I remember Troy Nagel saying, Hey, Hey, Andrew, I've got, I knew everybody really well. He said, Hey, Andrew, I've got uh, Frank here in my office and he's retiring. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to find someone to teach the senior design class. And we'd, we'd really love someone, you know, that's got the academic background to, to teach senior design, but also has real industry experience. And we'd also like to bring an entrepreneurial spirit to the class. And you have all three of those things. And, and what can we do to convince you to come teach this class? And it wasn't a full, <laughs> it wasn't being offered as a full-time job. It was like, come be a teacher for this class. And that's it. Um, and I just, I mean, to me, it was like being asked to return to my family and teaching is something that I'm just incredibly passionate about. Uh, so I was not a hard negotiator, you know, it's like, I, I would absolutely love, <laughs> love to do this. And when I started teaching in 2006, I was just, I was part-time. It was, that was okay. all that I was doing. Yeah. So um, when you when you joined in, and I'm sure Frank Abrams had his curriculum set or a way where they were doing things, um, you know, what were your thoughts as you were kind of one like learning the curriculum as it was, and then seeing where you wanted it to go and the vision and just the transition? Um, what were your initial thoughts there as you were stepping into this? Well, I gotta say, I mean, I gotta give a ton of credit to to Troy Nagel and to Frank Abrams because both of them just gave me the freedom to do like don't Mm -hmm. don't let what we were doing impact what you want to do and I wanted to make some very big changes and um, you know it was more like hey that's going to be a lot of work you know Um, you know you're you're embarking on a very big job because you're not going to rely on the infrastructure that was there before. Right. Um, and it was like, no pressure, you know, you can just take it where it is where we, you know, but if you want to change it, you can to have that freedom, that permission mm-hmm. to, to, to break something that was working just fine uh, was uh, really important for me to be able to do what I did at that time. You know, each department has their own, own flavor. So I think it would be similar to some other departments. Mm-hmm. They were uh, sponsored projects. Mm-hmm. So um, a local company, mm-hmm. um, typically, or it could, it could be a researcher uh, or a faculty member, but typically the idea ideal would be a, a local company would sponsor a senior design project. A problem statement already kind of they would, yeah, they'd have the, the, yeah, the problem very well defined. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, like a, almost like an internship for the company. The company would have a very set project mm-hmm. um, for those students to do. And they would come and learn about the project. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, they would establish a project plan and then they would take it, um, you know, through the, through the plan that was agreed upon between the sponsoring company um, and the team. And then there was some elements of 
maybe more traditional school, you know, there was like other content that you were learning and there was, you know, homeworks and, and tests and quizzes and, and things like that for your individual competence. Mm-hmm. Um, so Good that question. was, yeah. Um, what were the, were the projects mostly like, des- like medical device design work or could they mm-hmm. be like process? Like what was, what were the projects like? It could be product or process. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. I mean, I was fine with process as well, but product or process, it could be anything from helping design a product for one single person, you know, like, you know, Hey, we've got someone with a, a need mm-hmm. um, for maybe a new orthotic or prosthetic or a, a transfer device for their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be for a company that, you know, needed something for their, you know, their manufacturing, you know, process, maybe some, some, some tool or some component to man, to their manufacturing. Um, it could involve some kind of research, like, you know, we want to, we want to explore maybe different materials to make some change, you know, and the students might be involved in that. So it really, it was each, each project was different. And that's kind of similar to, to, to the current standard is every project is different. Right. So it's, it was really, I think a big, big difference was the, the sponsorship of the project with a pretty set problem statement um, and a few other things. I mean, you know, we'll get into it more later, but I, I got a lot more into the business side of it, the, the regulatory and the reimbursement and the intellectual property and the market. So I was, you know, none of those things or not much of those things were, were included. So I was actually just going to ask um, why, right? Did you have these um, big ideas and why you wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit and add your flavor to the curriculum? Um, so it sounds like you're kind of getting into it, but um, was it to, I guess, take in your industry experience and then and then want to kind of like in, introduce that to the senior design um, se- seniors as um, in the curriculum? Or what were some of your reasonings for going down the route before we talk about what you actually um, implemented? Yeah, so I was certainly drawing from my experiences. I mean, yeah, I worked as a, as a design engineer for a medical device company. I started a product development company mm-hmm. and here I am teaching senior design. It's, mm-hmm. You know, part of me was thinking, I think I know how this job is done. So, you know, I should draw from that experience. So that was part of it. I think my motive, I had two pieces of big motivation. Um, One was that I had seen all too often young engineers come out of college and join a company that I'm working for, a company that I'm collaborating with. And those that were the most creative Mm -hmm. young adults would oftentimes leave. They'd leave to go find a different job, do something mm-hmm. different. Yeah. And it felt like they 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 would 
say, you know, like there's just too many constraints, you know, having all these regulations, it's just like, it's, it's cramping my ability to be creative and they wanted yeah. to do more creative things. Yeah. And I, I just thought that our industry needed creative people. Um, I mean, we're, we're designing the future of, of, of health, of medical devices and, and health technology. And so I hated to see such creative people leave the industry. And I had this, this mission, like the best and the brightest can be creative at these jobs. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to give a skill set that would enable the students to be able to do both these things. Like, okay, yeah, it's a regulated industry and for a lot of good reasons, but you can be creative. Um, and so that was, that was probably my biggest driving factor uh, was seeing those young adults uh, being lost to the industry. Um, my, my other piece of motivation was, it was kind of simple. It was give the students the best educational experience on the planet and set them up to be successful no matter what they do. Like No matter where they go, I want to provide skills that are going to enable them to be successful, whether whether they're becoming doctors, going to grad school, or going to industry, whatever it was, I just wanted um, to give give these young adults the best chance to succeed. Yeah. How long did it take you to kind of do that restructure? Was it like kind of an iterative process for a couple of years, or the refine? You know, refining it was iterative, but I got to say, yeah. we we, we kind of went all in. The first, well, we went half in on year one. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> all in on the second year, but it was kind of all in on the first year. The overhaul happened right out the gate. Right. So, so what did it consist of? How was it restructured? I, I guess you're going to, you're going to kind of tell us maybe what we experienced, but um, it'd be good to kind of hear what you, what you saw it restructured as. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I can kind of go piece by piece. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. you know, there was, there was, uh, uh, things like tests and quizzes and homeworks and stuff like that. Um, I, well, I wanted to establish a class that was, it, it's real. We're not acting like we're doing medical device design. We are doing medical device design. Mm -hmm. And I'll back up a little bit too. This is going to take three podcasts, not two podcasts. Okay, great. Yeah, no, <laughs> more content for us. So, <laughs> no. right, so um, look, I, the, you might hear the term like college kids. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm thinking, how about college adults? Hmm. I mean, the students, young adults, your age or your age when you were just in school not too long ago yeah. um, have changed our world. I mean, young adults have gone to war and lost their lives in battle. Um, young adults have supported families. Young adults have you know, started businesses um, and become very successful. And you know, the, the idea that we have this opportunity to spend a year together working on a new medical innovation um, 
it, it could be like a practice, a game of practice, or we could we could say this is real. We're doing we're really doing this now. Okay, this is for real. The the thing about innovation is we can't guarantee results. I mean, if it's a new innovative thing, we don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. And so we can't guarantee guarantee it to happen. And so my thought was, okay, let's just make it real. Let's go through a, a robust process that increases the odds that something of value comes out at the end. And if the students treat it as as real, which not not all did, you know, mm-hmm. but, right. but but some did, um, then then we could produce things that would make a positive impact on our on our world. And we have. I mean, the students that have gone through that program have been on projects that are now products in in industry saving people's lives, mm-hmm. right? And so I got to start with with this this notion of this is real. Well, I really appreciate that. It, it's so motivating as a student to kind of be in that place and you start to take yourself seriously as a professional. I honestly feel like you show up to class differently and with different intentions. So um, that was something I tried to look at my college experience as, but the way the senior design course was structured, um, it, that was very palpable, at least to me, like in how we kind of showed up to with our intentions there. Yeah. Any other, for me, it was like everything else was class, right? Mm-hmm. Different notion. Um, when I went to senior, it was not class, right? It was like senior design. It was my team. It was our problem, our problem, whatever we were working on at the time. And for a whole year, like it was never class. It was, it was um, something more. Yeah. Good. And I'm glad to see this has persisted. <laughs> what we, what we ended up building and, and we, the students built this, what we ended up building um, was something that is a privilege that has been earned by the generation of students before you. And, you know, we're, we're walking into hospitals and we're interacting with patients and professionals and we are ambassadors of the program. Right. And so that professionalism is what enables the next generation of students to do it and then do it again and then do it again and then build a reputation Mm-hmm. for being you know one of the best programs in the world in training young professionals to be successful in industry right and so that took that took everybody that had gone through it that professionalism is basically the stewardship of the program mm-hmm. yeah it's a great call out okay so i derailed you um you That's started fine. off with <laughs> you started off with um not kids, college adults, when we talked about your goals for the program, what were some of your other goals? When, you, when you're in industry, mm-hmm. you're trying to get a job done. You know, you're trying to bring a new product to market. And as you go through that process, we don't reward the team members by how well they individually perform on tests and quizzes. Um, we don't, we don't do promotions that way. We don't, you know, put somebody in a room and whoever gets the highest grade gets the biggest, you know, raise or promotion. 
And I thought it was, I thought it could act as a, um, a safety net, especially for, you know, say individual straight A type students that might not be good at collaborating, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, might say, hey, look, I've got, a, I've got straight A's on everything you know, it's my team. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, there is no straight A's on everything because there are no tests. There are no quizzes. It's like, you know, this, this process that you're going through is, the, is the class. So that was a big, big change. The other piece that I did was implement a quality system. If you go work for a medical device company, mm -hmm. you're working within a quality management system mm -hmm. and you have to have design history files and do risk assessments and maintain you know design controls and trace matrices and and whatnot and so um i i implemented that into the class it's like this is a real company you're gonna do what you do in 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 real life i did my best to say okay we, we have one year together and so i wanted to i had to accelerate the process right you know i wanted the students to experience the entire life cycle of medical device product development so do we, we start with identifying an unmet need we finish with delivering a solution you know to the market um and break that down into into two semesters and then experience all the different roles. I mean, you know, at the at the front end, it's you're you're really more in marketing or product management, um, trying to un, trying to identify unmet needs, and then eventually, you know, taking that and putting together um, specifications for the engineering team to then start to think about how they're going to build it and manufacture it. Uh, quality engineers. I mean, it takes a whole a whole team to bring these products to market, and so so that whole piece was uh, interesting to try to you know how are we going to do this? How are we going to how are we going to fit this into a year? And then the clinical immersion piece, which was you go and identify problems where the problems actually exist. So you're going to go mm -hmm. into hospitals. Um, and this was particularly challenging thinking about doing this at NC State because we didn't have, we weren't attached to an academic hospital like we had at, at UNC. So I had to go to the local hospitals and say, I've got this idea for this new class and, you know, convince WakeMed and Rex to, to let students roam their hallways. Um, how, so that how did was, that go? Was that hard <laughs> to convince them or were they on board? When you treat the class as a class and you treat the clinical immersion as something that the class needs, we need the, we, we need the kids, right? We need the kids to do clinical immersions so that we can run the course. Um, it's like, that's, you're asking a lot right. of a hospital. When, when I have a conversation with senior leadership at, at a hospital and I say, hey, I'm putting together a new biomedical innovation experience, 
where young adults will work side by side with clinicians to identify unmet needs and bring novel solutions, you know, to, to the market. That's just a whole different, it just feels different and it's, it's for a whole different reason. Right. And so I, I never had any trouble doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, it kind of came back to, to being real. Yeah. Any other goals at the jump that were kind of set up at the beginning of the course? I want to get into the structure, but I want to make sure we kind of frame the whole thing. Well, we had a really unique opportunity in biomedical engineering to get input from industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, this is especially unique to, to BME as compared to a lot of the other majors that you see in an engineering school, electrical and mechanical and, and chemical. If, if you're studying these disciplines, they're, they're preparing you to go anywhere and be, let's say, an electrical engineer that can work anywhere. And our situation was kind of flipped. It's, it's like we have one place to go, you know, one industry to go to. And I got to say, I was coming to it from a medical device perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my bias. Yep. And I, I, I'll honestly say I could have been doing some students a disservice that would say have wanted to go into pharmaceuticals or wanted to go into biotechnology. Biomedical is really connected to devices historically. I mean, okay. the, the, the departments in hospitals that repair devices mm -hmm. used to be called the biomedical engineering you know, department, which some hospitals still call it that, but they were right. you know, fixing the devices in the hospital. Mm -hmm. If you look at um, the mission of Medtronic, if you read Medtronic's mission statement, which is one of the oldest, biggest medical device, it's the biggest medical device company in the world, but it talks about the biomedical engineer there was no there was no major biomedical engineer mm -hmm. um, when they used that terminology. So it was more it was more about the the engineer applying to the industry, doing their the application of their talents to the industry. And so there is there is a lot of connection between that term biomedical engineer and the medical device industry, whereas chemical engineering would probably be where you would go if you were going to go into the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's like maybe a more natural fit. Um, all that being said, the, the medical device companies as a, as a set of stakeholders that were consistent, it's not, it's not like I was talking to heavy equipment manufacturing and aerospace and agriculture and all these different, I'm, t I'm going out and I'm saying, what can we do to make these students the best fit for being successful in the medical device industry? Mm -hmm. And then you started to see a set of themes come and that's where you know, hey, we want to see them have real clinical experience. You know, we want to we want them to have experience with our um, quality system regulations and our business practices, right? And it's uh, it's a unique industry. 
um, the, the business models are unique in medical devices, the way in which, you know, reimbursement is done in medical economics. It's all, it's all very unique to the industry sector. And so to be able to, to have a consistent voice um, and there became a network. I mean, there are other organizations and groups that were coming together to rethink how, how senior design and biomedical engineering innovation in general was taught. And so groups like, it's called BME IDEA, the Biomedical Engineering Innovation, um, Innovation Design and Entrepreneurship Alliance, I think, BME IDEA, uh, Stanford Biodesign, um, Simit, uh, the Wallace Coulter Foundation. There was lots of, there was a lot, a lot of energy besides what we had got going on at NC State. There was a lot of energy at that same time coming from a lot of different places and we were able to draw upon sort of this unique position of this newish undergraduate discipline that had a consistent stakeholder that we could all draw from. So that was, that was part of it. Were you observing this at the time or were you collaborating with some of those groups or maybe just kind of communicating? Well, I was collaborating for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an example, the... The BME IDEA network was established n- less than a year before I started at NC State. So I, I had attended the meeting. The first meeting that I ever attended of that group was the second meeting they ever had. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll just back up and say undergraduate biomedical engineering in 2006 was just really new everywhere, mm-hmm. you know. And I think everyone was starting to realize these, this difference. This this is a different place compared to to other things. And so um, they brought that group together to talk about best practices. So some of the stuff that I had done right in year one, um, the the clinical immersion piece, the quality management system piece. Um, take doing doing the design history files taking the grading out of it um or individual tests and quizzes and stuff like that i i had kind of gone all in on on my own i was unaware of all of that other stuff Mm -hmm. um but then when when we all got together as a group it was like oh well stanford biodesign has a fellowship that's putting students in clinical immersions Oh, and there's this other program that does a quality system, you know, and there's this other program that's, you know, trying to do a new way to do group-based projects and not have tests and quizzes, right? So there was like bits and pieces of it um, happening and we were all sharing best practices. And I, I grew up in that wave. So we were all working you know, once it got going, we're all, all working together and sharing. Yeah. And that's great. You're kind of getting, you know, right at the start there, it sounds like you're kind of validating each other's thoughts about best practices too, by seeing similar elements pop up and all across the country. So that's really cool. Um, Okay. So let's talk how, how was, I guess we know, how was the BME course structured um, from your perspective? Like what's the year look like? Sure. Sure. 
Well, I can say that um, as as big chunks, the fall was was more like a marketing department or uh, specifically product management. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the spring was more like new product development mm-hmm. um, or product engineering mm-hmm. as big chunks. So the way the way that we were structured then, and I don't know that it's exactly like I don't know what it's like today, honestly. Um, so we had uh, a five phase product development process. There were phases zero, one, two, three, four. Um, and phase zero and one was the whole entire fall. Okay. And then three, four, five was the spring. The students would um, do a self-assessment and then also vote on areas that they were most interested in working of the available set. So if we were going to have, say, 10 teams, then there would be 10 clinical areas. It might be neurosurgery and rehab and, you know, pediatrics. Um, and, and so they would, they would do this personal assessment and then they would also, they would rank these areas. And then um, in the early days, we, we just acted, it was like we hired my company, which was, you know, me and say the TA, we just hired mm-hmm. all of these students. And so we looked at what they liked and we looked at um, what their interests were. They also did a personality test. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just tried to make as diverse teams as we possibly could, but we just announced it's like, boom, you're on this team in this yeah. place. Okay. Um, and they also were in total control of what, what they did with that. If that makes any sense, they were getting assigned to, you know, neurosurgery or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, another little piece of this whole thing is that all of the students, I couldn't make any of them do this, but they, they had to, they, if they wanted to really fully experience the class, they would become pseudo employees of the hospital. So they were going through all the hospitals onboarding. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, They would receive training from the hospital, um, you know, their etiquette in the hospital, they would have to get all the immunizations required, um, criminal background checks, um, HIPAA training, HIPAA training, and they would, they would get a badge, you know, and basically be an employee of the hospital. Uh, so that, that whole part was also happening at the, at the very beginning, which is why phases zero and one were, were the whole fall semester. It was kind of getting set up for, for it all. Yeah. I remember doing some of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big endeavor. And, and part of this too was to to prepare you for having all of this stuff ready to go when interviewing for real jobs you know it's like you mm-hmm. you got you know hey I basically just went through everything I needed to do because it's it's amazing to see some right. of the students you know getting in touch with their parents like I need my immunization records you know it's like yeah you should have this stuff you, you, you're, you're gonna get asked for this stuff um <laughs> 
but yeah, phase phase zero was what are all the problems that we see in this clinical space? Mm-hmm. And then can we narrow it down to one problem area that we think is is feasible to start to explore within the year that we have? If you go into rehab hospital, you could identify anything from how do you communicate after a spinal cord injury Mm -hmm. to how do you um, know if a patient is progressing on their physical therapy, you know, after a knee surgery, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, there's just a huge breadth of problems within the space, right? So we're we're defining the the phase zero is to define the scope of the problem space. Right. right? Yeah. You know, and let's just go with, okay, it's, it's how can we communicate after spinal cord injury? Um, So you might get to that, you know, that decision at the end of phase zero. Does any like commercial um, input come in at this phase or not yet? Or is it too early at this spot? Not too early. Every single, okay. every lane of the whole thing. And I think this maybe starts to come down to the, to the roles, right? Mm-hmm. And so each team could have or should have had, you know, a, a product manager who's thinking about the, the opportunity size. Mm-hmm should have a manufacturing engineer, a quality engineer, right, um, on the team. And and then, you know, you've got like a, a clinical liaison, someone who's, you know, responsible for communicating um, with, the, with the hospital and hospital mm-hmm. staff. Uh, and then you might have like a, like an overall project manager, you know, someone who's got the Gantt charts and making sure that everything is hitting its dates. So it didn't have to be those exact roles, by the way. I mean, we just, we encourage the students to, to come up with specific roles and at each of the phase reviews announce their type, you know, Hey, you know, I'm Andrew, I'm the product manager, you know, I'm responsible for this or whatever, right? So so they were picking roles and trying to do that. Absolutely, yes, if that's what the students wanted to do. So I got to be, I'll back up and and clarify that uh, there's sort of this assumption that we're doing entrepreneurship here Mm -hmm. and that the size of the problem and the market size are critically important. Uh, but the students were doing self-assessments and the self-assessments might've revealed that it's, what do you want to get out of this year, right? The process was pretty much set. Right. And if we, if we, as a team were like, we, we want to, we want to help one person, you know, we want to help one, we want to improve one person's lives. Like if we could improve one person's life then that's something that would get us excited, right? And so in that case, 
the, the phase zero get you to um, how do you communicate after a spinal cord injury might be more, you might be asking a different question. Like, is that something, is that a, a, an area that we think we can contribute to and deliver to a person by the end of the year? Mm-hmm. Right. Versus another team might be, we had teams that were really into say global health. Right. And so then they're, how they were measuring things part. So you had to create your own set of decision criteria that you, right. you, you would update and use throughout the class. Gotcha. And maybe it was like, is this a good global health problem? Um, is this something that we can apply to underserved populations? And so certainly if a team was more commercially focused, whether they were entrepreneurial or they didn't have to be entrepreneurial, maybe they just wanted to act like a small business or they wanted to act like they were working for, you know, this is something that you can license to a Medtronic when you're done for this. Mm -hmm. And we've had, so this is the other thing too, is I got to say, I'm saying acting. Um, and so I want to be, I want to be clear. It's, it's like the, the persona that you're what you want to take on. It's, it is still all real. Right. And so Mm -hmm. over the course of my tenure there, we, we did have student teams that licensed their technology to another company at the end of the year. Uh, we did have students that went to Guatemala and delivered the final product. You know, we had students that delivered the one final thing to the biomedical engineering department at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, you know, students that were involved in in startups, right? And so you would consider market size if that was something that you should be considering. Okay, I really appreciate that clarification. So. All right. So phase zero, we've, we've picked our teams. We've aligned on kind of our goals for the class. We've done some clinical, well, we've gotten ramped up to do clinical immersion. We've done some, and we've kind of narrowed down a problem based on our own team's goal criteria. Um, and then, so where does phase one pick up? Yeah. Phase one is, it's a little bit of a repeat of phase zero, except Mm -hmm. now you have, now it's like, okay, what are all the, what are all the needs associated with restoring communication after a spinal cord injury? And, and so is this like user, is this like design input user needs or where does this kind of fall? It would absolutely be user needs. So okay. by the, there's some, there's, there's nuance to all this. That would be me teaching the entire two semester class, but we, we, we would use a process to, I call it levels of abstraction or levels of need, where the higher level need, user need might be restore communication after a spinal cord injury, but then what are all the user needs associated with that? Um, You know, when does this need to work? Are we talking in the, you know, days following the, an accident, you know, to when they're released from the hospital? Does it follow them home? Um, so, you know, hospital use only or at home use? What, okay. you know, is it to communicate with who, nurses for what, turn on off mm-hmm. lights, turn 
on off TV, get, um, you know, thirsty, hungry, um, have to go to the bathroom, right? So you're, you're trying to understand all of the ultimately user needs around this problem area. And this is the, the diverging phase of phase, of phase um, one. Yeah. Good, thank you. And when you get to, <laughs> when you get to the end, I mean, like the ideal place to be going for you know the holiday break, right? Is you can describe the problem area with great, you know, you can start to say who are the people that suffer, you know, spinal cord injuries, and you know what is what are the clinical indications of the spinal cord injury, and you can sort of give this background of who's involved and what's involved. Um, and then you can eloquently state, you know, the, the higher level need to restore communication to, you know, those following, you know, spinal cord injury for the two to three weeks that they're in the hospital and don't have, and haven't had the chance to learn, you know, an, a new or existing product, nothing's filling this gap. You had to do, you would, you would have had to do some sort of competitive landscape at this point because it's got to be not available. There's nothing, right? There's nothing adequately meeting that need, you know. So we have to be able to say, currently, there's nothing available that enables, you know, patients from week two to week six post injury to communicate for all of these reasons. And that's what we're doing you know, when we come back in the spring and, and it should, it's like, if it's done really well, mm -hmm. it sets you up to have maximum creative brainstorming while they like on vacation. It's like, right. you're just thinking like, what are all the ways we could do this? Like now you're moving into like, how are we going to do this? Right. Coming back with just lots of ideas and energy um, to solve a problem that you yourself like, identified, you know, which is, which is really cool. And we are going to take a pause here on this conversation with Dr. Andrew DeMeo. We're going to continue this in our episode next week. There's just so much good information here. We kind of wanted to split it into two parts. So tune into next week's episode for that. As always, thanks for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Instagram page, the BME Grad Podcast, for shorts and updates. And make sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and leave a rating or review. The BME Grad Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on our podcast and its origins, you can visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, that information is under their news and events tab. Thanks for listening.